share with you today. One from John and another one from Romans, and both will be on the screen, hopefully in the right order. That's my prayer, is that they will, uh, that the technology will cooperate. First, beginning with uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The second reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, 8. Actually, I'm not sure how far it goes. No, 1 through 5. There we go. <clears throat> Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was wondering if you could help me as we begin today. If you could help me complete this phrase. See how this goes. Teamwork. Okay, let's try it again. Teamwork. Awesome. Almost everybody knows that, right? And maybe some were kind of confused. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not sure where he's going with this. But I, I, I was willing to bet that most people could actually complete that sentence. In fact, Peyton was saying it this morning. I heard her saying it. I said, where did you hear that? You know, did you hear it in school? And then I asked her again, about, said something about teamwork, and she said it again. It's such a common phrase. Teamwork makes the dream work. But how is it that that phrase is so automatic? How is it that we could do that just now, even in a smaller group this morning, that we could have that kind of experience? It's because nearly everyone here has been part of a team. Isn't that true? Everyone here has been part of a team, and we all intuitively understand the power and importance of working as a team, don't we? We know how important that is, and we have a mental framework for understanding teamwork. We get it. 
We've had past experiences that give us this mental framework. Like maybe it's even, it's not always sports teams. It could be like an academic team or a dance team. It can be sports teams. All sorts of different types of teams. It was hockey for me. That was my main sport growing up. You know, at some point you have to pick which one you really want to try and be good at. It didn't work out for me to be good at it, but <laughs> I tried to put all my energy into to being good at hockey. And then the golf course, actually, of working with the team of other people uh, to, to work on the, on the grounds was a similar kind of team experience, even though we were all getting paid for it. These were very formative experiences for me. And I see most of life, and especially as a leader, I see most of my uh, time through those lenses. In fact, it's one of the reasons I still like sports is to try and pay attention to the team lessons that come out of it. These are formative experiences that help us to commit to new team experiences or challenges and opportunities as they arise to say, how can we address this as a team? Now, it doesn't take long to think of characteristics of a good team, does it? It doesn't take that long to think about what makes a good team versus a bad team. In fact, I know that that's true because I did this exercise with our confirmands and the ad council. I said, what makes for a good team and a good team member? Let me remind you of some of these. I talked about them last week and not all of you were here. When I asked the ad council, I used the same whiteboard. This is not their responses. I said, what makes for a good team? Here's what they said. Having a good leader. Good communication. A common goal. This is one we're going to talk about more today. Common goal. What is the goal? Team chemistry. Effort. Dedication. Having different skills. Positivity. Praise and encouragement. And then I said, what, is it, what makes for a good teammate? Again, good communication. Commitment to the goal. We need to have a common goal. Being coachable. Someone you can count on. Having gifts, being reliable, being a good sport, having humility and respect, being open. So then I said, which of these traits are, apply to the church? Which is a little bit harder to decide, isn't it? Which of these traits apply to the church? And we put a big circle around all of them. Now if I would have said, what makes for a good church and a good church member, do you think we would have come up with the same list? Maybe not, right? We would have said some different things, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. It would have been a little bit harder, but you see, since we know what a good team is, it's easier to come up with that list. We know inside what it means. Here's what the confirmand said. Similar things. What makes for a good team? Working together. Working hard, especially at practice. That's what they said, not me. Uh, repetition of skills, trying to get better. Goals. Goal to win. Uh, and then one of the confirmands said, set goals within that bigger goal. That's exactly what we're going to talk today. Being committed. Sticking up for one another. Sportsmanship. Being respectful. Uh, getting good grades. You don't have to worry about that here. Everyone is welcome, okay? Uh, being respectful. Being a good teammate. Do your part. Be a leader. Be reliable. Give your best. Uh, have, work on your skills. Help build each other up. Encourage them. Be committed. Don't play. I like that one. <laughs> no drama, in other words, is what it's saying. No drama. Get on each other. Get on people. That's what Brody said. Like, 
uh, that's kind of that's risky, right? We're going to talk more about that as well. This was the list that came up. And it's interesting to me that, uh, that the team agreed that these characteristics also make for a good church. The Compromance said it as well. All the ones with the red circle around them are all the ones that the Compromance said make for a good team and a good teammate. Isn't that fascinating? Now, if I were to ask the Compromance what makes for a good church and a good church member, which is how we talk about church, do you think they would have come up with the same list? No. Not likely, is it? it it's, it's not quite as, tui- as intuitive for us as team is. And that intuitive understanding of team, the value of team, doesn't necessarily translate as well to the church as it does for team experiences. It just, it just doesn't, and that's okay. And maybe that's because the Bible doesn't actually talk about or ever use the word team. Not at all. We don't read about any sort of team in the Bible. But the Bible describes a very similar experience of belonging, of togetherness, of being committed to one another deeply. The Bible talks about the church as being a member. Not as a member of a club or a a subscribing service. A member of the golf course like that was my former world. The Bible talks about being a member of the body of Christ. Inseparable. Each part being deeply committed and connected to the the other part. Not just one that you can decide if, like I do with with streaming platforms, I say, I'll I'll subscribe for a month and then I'll take a break. Uh, Timberwolves aren't playing as well, I'll take a break. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ. Like, oh, I like the church now, so I'll subscribe. I'll support it. But then if it's not going well, nah, I'm going to take February off. That's my approach with the Timberwolves. I'm not saying anybody thinks that about the church, okay? (laughs) But it's that intuitive understanding of the benefit of team. If it's not, it isn't as accessible to us as for the sports teams. But we do understand that the church works in a similar way. That's clear when I ask what makes for a good team or a good teammate, it is clear that we do, we can see that the church should be like a team if when I ask that question, people say, yeah, circle all those similar traits. That tells me that we can take that framework of team and apply it to how we see the church. And that's why I'm doing this series on team, is because we can take our understanding of team, our experience of teamwork that's so deeply embedded in us, and use it in a way for understanding a vision for the church so that when we think of church, now help me out here again, when we think of church, we can say teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, we can say that about the church and everything that's happening within the church. So then if we're going to get to that place, we have to ask this question. And we have to be serious about answering it. Can you help me here? Just think about it. You don't have to share out loud, Wendy. Wendy. Don't be getting nervous over there. You, know, you don't have to share out loud. If teamwork makes the dream work, what is the dream? What is the dream? What is the dream for the church? That's the question, isn't it? What's the teamwork actually? What dream are we moving towards? And that is a hard question to answer. For the church. I know because I've been trying to lead us 
in talking about that question, you know what answer we come to? Not very clear. Because Larry's dream might be different from Lauren's dream or Deb's dream or Wendy's dream. Everybody's dream of the church is different. The big picture dream for a team is what? For, for a team in general. Winning. Yes, winning. Duh, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to win. You want to win games. Maybe the team wants to win conference. Win the section. That'd be nice. Maybe even win state like some of our local teams are doing. And I think it's safe to say that everyone who plays the game wants to win even if you are not quite sure if you're going to be able to. What's the big picture for the church, the big dream for the church? Winning is a little harder. Well, first we find in Scripture some examples. Now, this is not, a, this is not an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but we have some examples. One is eternal life. That's winning, right? We can all agree on that. Eternal life. Heaven. That's why we read John uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Everyone who believes in me, Jesus says, may have eternal life. That's winning. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But yet, that's not a motivator to engage in teamwork as a church that everyone may have eternal life. That's too big a picture. Victory over death is another one that we find in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that in Christ we have victory over death. So that's similar as uh, eternal life with Jesus, but it's also a little bit different. That death is not the final answer. We don't have to be afraid. Another big picture dream for the church, winning for the church, is uh, in Matthew chapter 28, we read making, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach people to follow Jesus. I heard in a podcast this week, I thought this was really good, that disciples make disciples. That in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, one of the qualifiers is you are making disciples. That's what a disciple of Jesus is. So those are big picture goals. Maybe in a practical sense. You may not think about those big picture biblical uh, views of winning for the church. Maybe in a practical sense, you might say, see new people in church. Pretty fair, right? See new people in church. Or in our world today, we could say, See, old ones come back because some people left and haven't come back. We might say that we want to be a growing church. Okay, well, see, that's a big picture goal that requires a certain kind of teamwork, certain kinds of decisions. We might say a big picture goal is to have more of our, our community be Christian. A big picture goal is see your kids or grandkids, family or friends, live out their faith or maybe meet Jesus for the first time. These are big picture goals. We need to think about big picture winning because it gives us a sense of why do we even show up? Why do we even show up at church? What is the why? Why are we here? What is it that, that church gives us that nothing else can give us? And once we have that sense of why, like this is the big picture, then we can start to break it down, can't we? Into short-term goals. Like if a team just said, just think about this for a second, if a team just said, well, our goal is to win state. We're just going to win state. Well, that's awesome. So what's your short-term goals? How are you going to get there? We're just going to do it. Just believe. We just believe that we can do it. Well, you would, you would say, well, 
Good luck. You know, uh, that, that's hard. I, they might not win. And a team that doesn't make and commit to short-term goals is relying on, if, if that's their approach, they can have that approach, and maybe many teams do, if they don't make short-term goals in light of their big-picture goals and then work towards them together, you know what they're relying upon instead? Individual talent and skills. Just hoping that, like in the pros, if he just got the right draft pick, if he got number one overall, then everything would work out just fine. And we know that that's not true, that good teams are not just made up of skilled individuals. There are so many more intangible elements that go into it, right? We all know this. The saying is not uh, individual skill and talent make the dream work. Help me again. The saying is teamwork Yes, teamwork does. Not just the best athletes or the best pastors or the best admin assistant or youth pastor or whatever it might be. Short-term goals help the team become the team that can win. And in winning, and in winning short-term, it leads to more winning in the big picture. You see how that works? You show up to practice. You spend time together. These could be some short-term goals. We're going to spend lots of time together. We're going to be really close as a team. Trust that that translates out on the court. We're going to commit to getting really good sleep so that we always show up with our best energy. We're going to eat well. We're going to hit the weight room as much during the week as we can in between practices. And we don't need anybody to tell us that. We're just going to do it because we want to win. And so this is a short-term goal. Sportsmanship. Percentage of shots made. Defense, that's what the Timberwolves said this year. You notice I'm a Timberwolves fan? They said, we're going to be about defense this year. And for the most part, they do pretty good. You could make anything be your short-term goal. But you have to set those goals and say, this is how we're going to show up so that we can be successful. When I played JV hockey, we didn't have a lot of talent or individual skill. That is not me. I can barely shoot the puck, Okay. And our coach knew that. He knew that we were in a place that doesn't have good athletes in general. Actually, they're really good in wrestling, but not hockey. So he told us at the beginning of the season that we were going to be the best conditioned team. And you know what? Get after people. To that goal, he got after us. He said, we're going to be the best conditioned team, and he really worked us. And you know what? We surrendered to that. We said, yeah, push us, push us, because we know we're not very good, but we want to at least show up with as much energy and endurance as we can. And we knew that this gave us the best chance to win, and actually we had the best record for one of the hockey teams uh, to that point in the history as a JV team, not as varsity, because of that. We didn't have the most skilled players, but we showed up and we stuck it to the varsity during uh, scrimmages because we knew how to work hard. That's the best team experience I've ever had. And we didn't win that many games and we weren't, you know, super awesome or anything, but we really worked hard together. Friends, short-term goals help us to move toward our big picture goals and experience winning as a team in the short term. It's harder to identify those for the church, isn't it? A lot harder. What are the short-term goals? What are they? 
these big picture goals that we talked about for the church are so big that it can be difficult to move forward towards them. Like we say, we want to have, I think everybody would say a big picture goal is to have a full church. All right? <laughs> How's that going to happen? What? I would say, why hasn't it happened already? That's a good thing to ask. Why isn't what we're doing now leading to that outcome without blaming other people? See, it's easy to just blame other people and say, well, if they came, yeah, what do we need to do differently? They're too big. So it's difficult to move towards them. So we could think in practical ways. Uh, More volunteers would be a good short-term goal. More money. It's not a popular one if you're trying to get people to come into your church. You could all agree with that. A practical goal would be getting stuff done. More people in church supporting one another. Those could be some examples of what we would identify as short-term goals. Just just being honest. But in Scripture, the short-term goals all center around this idea of discipleship, of following Jesus and becoming a new person and continually growing to be more and more like Jesus in this life. All throughout life. Sorry, Dean. You're not off the hook when you get into your 90s. All throughout life. And I know that you are surrendered to that. You know that about your faith because just last week, Dean asked me about getting a new Bible. It's awesome. That's awesome, Dean. What an example. This is a short-term goal of becoming more like Jesus. And so then winning is finding that outcome in literally everything that we do. Everything that we engage in, everything that we experience in life is an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. To be changed through that experience. Or to be affirmed and say, wow, Jesus really has been working in my heart. I went through that hard season, that hard situation, and I actually felt a lot of peace within me. I actually felt a lot of compassion and generosity during that season when everything told me that I should experience scarcity or be afraid or protect myself. Well, God really must be working in my life, right? We can win in every situation if that's our goal, is to become more like Jesus. And that's why I like this specific text that we read today from Romans. Even though there are endless examples in Scripture of the importance of discipleship. Endless examples. Paul describes this experience of following Jesus as having a new life in Christ. Becoming a new person. He encourages us to not be conformed. Don't be conformed. Don't just be like everybody else around you or just stay the same for all of your life. Being conformed to what you've experienced in the past. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the short-term goal. To allow the Holy Spirit to shape our hearts and minds through any and every situation. I used to think, to be honest with you, I used to think that this was just talking about information. That Paul was talking about renewing our minds through just read Scripture. You know, and and just do your devotions every day. And just read the right books and and all of that. Uh, But this is about more than just information. Our minds are renewed, sometimes most powerfully, through 
actions we take. Have you ever noticed this? Like serving in a new way. And you're nervous before you engage in that experience and then you step into it and your whole perspective of something can change. Or when you go up and talk to somebody new and you, you're vulnerable with them and you, you try to have back and forth and it's really a new experience for you, you walk away from that experience with a renewed mind, don't you? Your perspective changes as you engage in those experiences. Maybe the same as showing compassion or offering forgiveness to somebody. Actually, just like making amends with someone who it's been tough with. And as you face that hard thing in your life, you are transformed through that experience. You look at things in a different way. Building a new relationship. Being vulnerable. And yes, of course, please don't mishear me. Yes, of course, prayer and reading Scripture and doing your devotions and showing up to church for worship are all parts of the way that our uh, parts of the ways that our minds are renewed but in a practical sense we need the practical as well our short short term goals can be centered around experiences that open space for this kind of transformation so our short term goals as a church as we sit around in a leadership group like we're going to do after worship here today for our ad council our short term goals could be how many people in our congregation are reading Scripture on a daily basis or a couple times a week basis? Can we measure that even? Or how many are reading their devotions every week? That might be one thing. How many small groups do we have? How many lay leaders do we have for small groups? Those are some short-term goals that we can have to move from just depending upon the individual talent and skill I'm not saying anything about myself. Their bar is really low right now, by the way. Moving from being centered on individual talent to team. See what I'm saying? But we have to have these kinds of goals, and these are harder. How many small groups? How many leaders of small groups other than the pastor? How many people are signing up to volunteer on their own rather than being asked to sign up? Like by me, the pastor. Number of people getting together outside of this building. Number of people who are giving for the first time or increasing their giving. Number of people who are serving in new leader roles. Number of people reached in the community through starting new relationships with them. You see, that's how we grow our church. It's not by just saying a big picture goal of we would like to see the church grow and be thriving and have the sanctuary full, go out, build a relationship, bring people into the church. Does that work, Kyle? Yes. And that's how you get people to push through their inner resistance of, I don't know what it's like in that place. I don't know if I belong there. And you go out and build a relationship with them and say, you can be on our team. That feel pretty good. Wouldn't it, Doug? Yeah. I feel good. I'm going to start calling on people. You don't get tired. <laughs> I'm almost done. All of these experiences are what Paul talks about in Romans, the Lectio text that we read, Romans chapter 5. All of these experiences open us to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. All of these experiences do. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that transforms us more and more in Christ-likeness. That's how that all works. 
But without the short-term goals, the long-term will never happen. It's true in sports, right? You agree with that? It's just as true in the church. In fact, that's what we see happening within the church. But being transformed to be more like Christ is always winning. It's always winning. Even if there are only four of us left here, three of us left, if we're changing, growing in Christ-likeness, we're winning. Well, we don't have the size, but we're winning because we're changing, we're growing. And that can lead to anything because it's the Holy Spirit working within us. And that's the promise of the Bible. That's the hope of the Bible. And that's the goal that makes you part of the team as soon as you decide to be a part of it. And that's what brings us closer to the dream, to the big picture vision of a full church and eternity with Christ. Help me out one more time as we close. Because teamwork... Yes. Excellent. Amen. Let's spend this uh, next couple minutes, a little bit of time, not two minutes, one minute or less in silent prayer. I'd like us to reflect upon what are my big picture goals for this Christian life that I'm a part of? And what might my short-term goals be in my journey with Christ? What am I needing? What do I really want from Jesus and from this church family that I'm a part of? Jesus, you lived this life as a human, and so you know what this human nature is like, that you've given us the gift of having vision, of dreaming, of having big picture goals, like winning as a team. And you also know, Jesus, that it's harder for us to break those big dreams down into smaller chunks. You've gifted us, God, with this experience, this shared experience of teamwork and togetherness that we have through it and, and the power, the impact of making those short-term goals that lead us to the bigger picture win. And so God, we pray for your wisdom and discernment to flood into each of our minds. That we could begin to see that uh, everything that we do is an opportunity to win in the short term. If we're wondering how these present experiences could shape us to be more like you, but also that we can set concrete goals with tangible outcomes to creating those kinds of experiences for ourselves and for others 
that open our hearts to have your Holy Spirit poured into them. So Lord, would you give wisdom to us to see what spaces we can create in our day-to-day lives to be present to you, to have our minds and hearts renewed, and also how we as a church can utilize our uh, precious resources to create space for others, to listen for your voice, to be encouraged by your Holy Spirit and be encouraged by one another and to take those big risks of being vulnerable and being curious about one another, curious about what you're doing in our lives. So Jesus, we trust that you'll lead us in this way and we pray all of this in your name and uh, join our hearts together